the people that are really worth meeting for a drink or dinner or having over for a party or vacationing with weirdo, broken, wrong answer people. Uh, I have no idea and could care less. These are my humans. Hello, the internet. You are listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning author of both fiction and nonfiction. And more to the point, I currently have nine string cheeses sitting on my desk, which I bet is more than you have. I'm not going to elaborate on that. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, fine. You twisted my arm. I have been trying to lose weight lately. (laughs) Um, So I've been eating kind of a high protein, uh, low carb diet, lifting weights. Um, How's it going, you ask? Thank you for being so thoughtful. Thank you for asking. Uh, Actually, really well. Um, I don't have a bathroom scale, so I have no idea how much quote unquote weight I've actually lost, but I definitely fit into my clothes again. So I am... Counting that as a win. Beer gut's not completely gone, but it is smaller than it used to be. And my arms and shoulders are larger, which I guess is how it's supposed to be. Um, do I look exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime? Yes, I do. And because this is a podcast, an audio podcast, I can tell you that. And you cannot question me. Anyway, this podcast has nothing at all to do with uh, my recent weight loss. What it does relate to is a movie called Electric Jesus. This is an independent film that came out last year. I finally got around to watching it on Amazon Prime or Prime Video or whatever the heck they're calling it now. Uh, I finally watched it back in January, and I was really blown away by it. It is a really, really fun movie. Um, It's kind of a sweet, quirky coming-of-age rom-com set against a backdrop of 80s Christian hair metal, um, which I'm sure you'll agree is an unusual uh, backdrop to set your uh, rom-com against. Um, It's a very, really fun movie, very well made, um, and I just, I liked it so much, I said to my producer, can we maybe reach out to uh, the writer-director of this film, and have him on the show. Um, so my producer, Blake, sent an email to Chris White, and Chris said, yeah, I'd love to come on the show, <laughs> which was not the reaction I was expecting. Typically, uh, typically uh, people just ignore our emails. Um, but yeah, I, I, was, I felt really lucky to have Chris on the show. He's a very gifted filmmaker, um, made one of my favorite movies that I've watched this year so far. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation that I had with him about his process in writing the movie and how he came to uh, see things from the perspective of a character he didn't expect to understand. Um, So it's a really interesting conversation. I will flip you over to it and I will see you on the other side. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Luke. Thanks for thanks for uh, inviting me on. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Chris is a film 
writer and producer and director um, mm-hmm. behind such films as Taken In, Cinema Purgatorio, and most recently, Electric Jesus, which was a movie I just randomly watched on Amazon and loved. Um, so I you know, had my producer, Blake, reach out to Chris and say, you want to come on? And Chris accepted, which I'm very excited about. Um, well, the, the film is such a strange, weird little film. I describe <laughs> it to people or it's been described to me, I guess, and I've adopted it. But as like almost famous meets Napoleon Dynamite. And I think that's very with with a dash of youth, evangelical youth group culture thrown into yeah, yeah. it. So um, so when, when I when somebody uh, reaches out and says, hey, I really like this thing. I'm like, oh, you're you're one of those weird people like me. <laughs> need to know you you're one of my tribe you're one of my people it it uh, did strike me as something that would appeal to a very narrow swath of humanity like (laughs) well on on the level of nostalgia i think it does i i've I've had almost as many people just in the film festival circuit that respond to the movie that are just like i had no idea there was a world you know like that like there and they seem kind of charmed and fascinated and uh on, in some cases delighted and in some cases terrified that it existed uh the film is set in that kind of youth group culture that i think grew up in the 70s and then i was a part of it in the 80s but a lot of people in the 90s and even up to now you know uh experience that kind of uh evangelical christian youth group culture and that's really where the film is set though it is a rock band movie you know um so i i basically put a rock band movie in that world yeah yeah um when i the whole time i was watching i was like this is clearly a movie for people who like grew up in the church but are comfortable with criticizing it but are also like like are also comfortable with still thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I don't know there's a ton of people like that. Um, you know, especially, yeah. I mean, not to, not to open up this whole can of worms, but it, it, especially, <laughs> especially in the Trump era when it feels like everybody, but evangelicals hates evangelicals. You know, It's like, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I, I think a lot of people, and I would include myself in this feel a little alienated from that world now, for sure, because it seemed like there were uh, a lot of values and a lot of ideas that were really at, at least being sold to us, you know, teenagers and young people that I, I haven't seen as much uh, written, you know, lived out anymore, but also like, um, in another kind of weird political twist of fate, um, you know, the 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 iconic Dana Carvey church lady is no longer at church. Like, <laughs> like I never thought that, you know, the I would see, you know, like the most like, you know, uh, kind of damning judgy people be like um, from the other side of the political aisle, too. So I'm I'm confused about politics and culture totally. And uh <laughs> And an alien, but but that's kind of good because that means there's more time for college football and making movies. <laughs> I so relate to that, and that's probably, I guess, why I so related to your movie. And honestly, that's been kind of a recurring theme since I started doing this show of just people who have been like wanting to come on, being like, I want to tell the story of how I ended up politically and religiously homeless, you know, in the last oh, yeah, yeah. five or ten years, you know, and I'm just like, well. Okay, you know, that's why I started the show. Yeah. I haven't done a ton of episodes like that just because I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. But um, yeah, that could be a really 
Really interesting uh, rabbit trail to, to go down when we get there. I want to say just one thing I really appreciated about this movie that I, I think um, people who, even people who, you know, <laughs> don't know this youth group, youth group culture would love um, is that it just really captures kind of this feeling, the feeling of like thinking you're right on the edge of fame, you know, oh, um, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing like that feeling and it's fleeting and, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And, and that confusion of what am I feeling here? Am I falling in love? Mm-hmm. Am I uh, reaching some kind of spiritual uh, accomplishment? You know, the make Jesus famous, the kids talk about in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, or am I just having fun? <laughs> you know, like it's all kind of this weird blend of emotions. And then you put it in, 15, 16 year olds. And then it's all, you know, <laughs> huge. Um, yeah, yeah. I just got finished watching. I know it's old, but I hadn't seen it. It was new to me. The Bo Burnham, Zach Stone is going to be famous series that just came out on Netflix. And okay. it's, it's about that in a different way, you know, and it's, it takes a real sardonic, wonderfully dark uh, turn, but it's, it's almost saying, talking about that idea of that pursuit of fame and the cost of that. And what am I really pursuing? What do I really want, which is just, impossible to know when you're a kid right yeah for sure it's just for sure um but yeah i think we all can relate to that moment whether it was like you know if you were a sports kid and you you know your team won the upper state championship or something and you feel like you just won the world series and you're probably going to go to a major college in the sport and probably go professional you know like these these little um these little mini accomplishments seem outsized and big when we're when we're young and uh, not that they're without <laughs> merit and without worth. They do point us somewhere, I think. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, I'm, you know, late 30s, but uh, finally landed a, a literary agent for my fiction just uh-huh. a few months ago. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, and, you know, she's, uh, she's actually kind of a, a whiz. Uh, like, I've been looking at her announcements. She's making big deals left and right, and I'm just like, Maybe, you know, maybe this yeah, is going to work yeah. out, you know? And so I don't know, maybe that's why I related to the movie as well, but um, yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. So why don't we just get right into it? Um, sure. You know, I, I asked you uh, what you uh, changed your mind about and you sent me kind of a whole paragraph. <laughs> well, don't read it. Don't read my paragraph. Cause I'm, I think I changed my mind since I told you what I changed my mind. <laughs> no, I, I, I was, uh, because the the conditions of us meeting had to do with a movie, it made me start thinking about the movie. For sure. Um, and, and, you know, of course, you know, the movie comes from, as we've kind of talked about, I set out to make a rock band movie set in a world that I knew, you know, that whole write what you know thing, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. uh, as a fiction writer and an essayist, you, you know, that's a place to start. It's certainly, um, and, and I'd never... You know, as a fan of films, especially rock band movies, I'd never seen or heard of a band movie about a Christian hair metal band, mm-hmm. uh, which on its face is a hilarious concept. And <laughs> I, I I liked it because it had bigger stakes than most rock and roll movies have. Hmm. Um, you know, most rock and roll movies about the produce, pursuit of sex, drugs and rock and roll. You know, I wanted to go on the road with a band that was trying not to have sex, <laughs> trying not to do drugs. <laughs> And as they keep saying in the film, make Jesus famous with their rock and roll. And I thought I'd make a cool movie with higher stakes, because if you're trying to save the world, if you if you believe in, 
the the Christian idea of, you know, come to faith through Christ and, you know, avoid an eternity without him, like that's pretty high stakes, especially for a 15, 16 year old. So I thought that would be interesting, dramatic stakes for a movie. Um, but, um, and of course, you know, <clears throat> now then returning to that world um, and I got to, you know, I actually kind of despise nostalgia. Um, <laughs> Same. The idea of nostalgia <laughs> is sentimentalism for the past. I don't. I don't think it's helpful at all. So I wanted to go back to that world and interrogate it um, uh, a bit. You know, take take it to task, test it, run it by modern day me. And honestly, I figured it would not pass my tests. Mm. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe going back to it might uncover. Uh, you know, this, the seeds of threat and doom, as we were just saying, that, that the old evangelical youth group would reveal itself to be callow and maybe even a little insidious. And mm-hmm. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to smash it to expose it or mock it, but I kind of knew or I assumed it wouldn't hold up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in the process of writing the film, shooting the film, editing, and now, uh, I guess, releasing the film, in that process, I changed my mind. Interesting. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where I changed my mind. <laughs> it was actually the pursuit of the art, my process for telling the story that reshaped uh, not my approach because I was I was approaching it, but it had changed, reshaped the way I was thinking about it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. Like, if you're moving, if you're making a movie <laughs> that acknowledges. The existence of Christianity uh, seems like there's probably a lot of pressure there to make either a Christian movie, in which case you have to kind of portray oh, yeah. the whole Christian <laughs> world as a sunny place where nothing troubling ever happens and finding mm-hmm. it's finding Jesus fixes all your problems, you know, yeah, <laughs> or, that's... Else, or else you're not making a Christian movie in, in which there's sort of this expectation that your posture will be nothing but critical. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh <laughs> The, the movies tend to have, uh, I've said this before, but they, they make Christians uh, sinister, stupid, or superheroes. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That any, <laughs> any media presents Christians as sinister, stupid, or superheroes. Obviously, the Christian media does the superhero thing. But, yeah. um, but you know, I think that art is about empathy or making art, consuming or receiving art. Uh, this should be a process of... Uh, accessing, practicing, living in empathy. Yeah. So yeah. as I started writing the movie and realized that I, I, I had this huge realization that I actually love the characters mm. and, and I love the kids and the adults. I love these dummies, these 1986 Southern <laughs> Baptist, Southern <laughs> Christians. And I really felt for them. Mm. I mean, I was them, right. But, but going to them, being back with them, which was necessary to write them, uh, any part of me that wanted to judge them or correct them, that just, that fell away. And I started to listen to them and, in a weird way, you would understand this as a writer. They started telling me stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's not just, it's, you know, I know if you're not a writer, it sounds like we're talking real arts, <laughs> humans, but the character started speaking his own lines. Or whatever. And yeah. it's like, they do though. They just kind yeah. of start taking you somewhere. And um, these characters in electric Jesus, I think started speaking, Speaking to me that, you know, telling me that maybe my Christian youth group years uh, weren't as much about me as I'd come to believe. Hmm. 
um, like suddenly my story, you know, my, in some sense, uh, my wound or whatever, it, it was our story. Interesting. And when the characters would say goofy, dumb, maybe even offensive things, I would laugh at them. I kind of shake my head like a big <laughs> brother or maybe a dad, you know, uh, I, I wanted to fix them, but more than that, I wanted them to speak their truth again, as we would say in the modern parlance, I wanted yeah. them, yeah. I wanted them to love each other and the Bible and the music. I wanted them to have the experience that we've all had being young and dumb and lost and trying and not knowing the end. And I think so many films about young people are written in the voice and the mind of the 40, 50 year old person writing them. Uh, I think they're written with the end in mind. So anyway, you know, how I changed my mind in the, in the story is the whole process. I came to see Electric Jesus was Sarah's story. She's a young woman. They meet along the road and it's not Eric who is the traditional protagonist. He's the guy telling, <laughs> you know, voicing the story. Um, and I think that switch where the muse is no longer a muse. She's actually the, the protagonist is a nice innovation for the rock band movie. Um, uh, for the genre uh, might be more apt for literary application, but it's, <laughs> it's there. And it's, um, and so um, in that too, I was able to find a quirky, fun, hilarious tone. And I just discovered this one of a kind, beautiful story that exceeded not only my expectations, but my talent. Hmm. Um, Electric Jesus is something, I'm not sure how it came to be what it came to be, but I do know that it's, 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 it's far greater than anything I had imagined or hoped for. And, and that's not me saying it's the greatest movie ever. I'm just saying <laughs> it would have been the worst movie ever. I think if I hadn't been open in that process to just coming to listen to it and, and let it assert itself and then realize, you know, holy crap, it's about this girl. It was always about this girl. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's and that's a difficult uh, mind change to have when there's so much, you know, there's high stakes, there's a lot of money and you're very busy. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a process of making a film independently is terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we start um, start with uh, this question, which is how autobiographical is this film really like the, the main character, Eric, is his name, right? Um, yeah. How how much does he reflect who you were? as a kid then? Well, I, I thought that he was, he was me like in a mm -hmm. very direct way. Now I was never a sound guy for a band. I was never in a band. Yeah. Uh, when I was in college, I was in an improv group and that was the closest <laughs> I had to like a band experience. Cause we were yeah. really tight and we toured around and spent a couple of years intensely, you know, uh, trying to make Viola Spolin famous. Um, no, that's a really stupid, deep cut, uh, improv <laughs> joke. Um, but, I, but, I confess um, I didn't get it. So <laughs> there, will, there will be like five people in this audience who will get that. And they'll be like, oh, dude, I'm going to call my improv friends. We need to do some, uh, some, uh, improv now. Um, so I, but I thought personality wise, I always felt like I was quiet and the observer and just watching it all happen and falling in love with the girl silently and never being able to speak it and express myself. And then um, friends of mine in the process of making the movie, I would, I would reconnect with old youth group friends. And, you know, when, you know, word 
was out that I was making a movie about our youth group. And so I would talk to people and um, they didn't see me that, that way. They thought I was kind of not a, I wouldn't say obnoxious, but very extroverted <laughs> and very performance forward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, the more I listened and the more I paid attention, I was like, yeah, I, I was, I was kind of hmm. like a leader kid. And, but somehow in my memory, I had turned into Eric. Hmm. And then, um, and then as the film, you know, as the writing kind of, you know, you would relate to this too. You're basically all the characters. Yeah. There's, there's some of you in all of them. And so, you know, now when I watch the movie, I think I relate mostly to Sarah um, just because she was, she's a girl who is just doesn't, doesn't want to leave, but has some kind of talent in her that she doesn't know what to do with. Hmm. Uh, she's not a per it's not that she's not a person of faith or she's not a devoted or devout person or devoted to her family person. She's just, there's something in her that's trying to get out. And, uh, she lives in a small town and doesn't really have a plan. Hmm. So I, I relate to that maybe being 16, 15, 16 and living in Columbia, South Carolina. And just, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, these, this, this, um, I guess an instinct, or maybe it was talent, or maybe it was just a, a an ambition. Yeah. I want to maybe talk a little bit more about the, the whole getting to know your characters thing. Speaking of someone who thinks of himself primarily as a novelist, um, <laughs> I can, I can totally, I can totally understand people who hear that and say like, that's, that's really pretentious or out there or whatever. Um, I, I guess what it is, if you want to put it in more down to earth terms, um, what it is, is right. <laughs> For me, at least it's the process of just writing the story over and over again until the characters actually make sense. Um, coming up with maybe sort of algorithms in your mind for how these characters would react. Mm. Um, totally legitimate to just, uh, say I'm listening to the characters. Um, Obviously, that's somehow, not literally what's happening. Yeah, I think sometimes you put placeholders. Um, you know, you put people in your life in that role, maybe, mm -hmm. or you, or for me, sometimes I'll imagine an actor, especially if I'm friendly with them or I know them. I'll I'll start thinking of them in the role, and it just gives me a placeholder to come back to. Right. You know, if I'm if if I'm writing a scene and I haven't written with that character for a couple of days. I come back and like, Oh, okay. And sometimes that's a clue in their name. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's, um, you know, there's all sorts of different ways uh, to, to, uh, to come back to that, but you're right. I mean, they become these, and then, you know, there's a part in revising where all these characters talk the same, they're all the same, you know, and then you, yeah, have, yeah. To, you have to remind <laughs> yourself, okay, wait a minute. Okay. We gotta, we gotta differentiate these people uh, because now I'm just, you're just hearing all of Chris's thoughts just being spewed out on the page. Um, you know, so there, there certainly is that craft to that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I figured in my younger days as a youth group kid, and, and please understand, I don't think we were right about things. I don't want to, I don't want to go back to that juvenile <laughs> practice, the immature version of Christianity uh, because, you know, like Sarah says in the movie, Jesus is already famous. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I, you know, um, and, and my faith has matured and changed my, my entire approach to friends and collaboration and art 
art mm-hmm. it's it's grown up but i think i think there's this really easy maybe obvious assumed way to look back and we look back for easy feels hmm. and that's my thing about nostalgia being dangerous mm-hmm. or 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 we look back for somebody to blame hmm. or to accuse to indict um, to shame and you just can't write a character from either of those frames you can't right. write a character from my god they were the she was the greatest girl ever. I'm still in love with her. Now I'm going to write her. Or you can't write like that asshole youth minister was just the worst. And here now I'm really going to let him have it. I mean, nobody, yeah. that's not, that, that does, that doesn't make for great writing. Uh, the and great for art. a flat, boring story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I saw a movie. I don't, I don't like to slam movies, but I saw a movie that was about a famous person and just couldn't get to, through it recently, very, mm. a couple of days ago, just because it was, it was just so indentured to the, <laughs> to this person's greatness mm. and, and their tragedy. And the actor felt like, you know, the, the actor felt that, and the director felt that and the screener, I mean, everything was just about how wonderful this person was and how mistreated they were. And I was just like, eh. yeah, you know, well, because there's no arc there, right? Like it's, if no. they start perfect and they finish perfect, there's no, yeah. no mo- movement there. Um, yeah. It was, yeah. it was just boring. It was, it was boring. <laughs> it was a beautiful movie that was just boring. Um, yeah. I just yeah. gave it up and went back to Seinfeld reruns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and you can definitely, you know, you can definitely talk about this this Zen thing about listening to the characters, getting to talk about the characters. It's easy to forget, I think, just how much real work that is in the process. Mm. Um, yeah. like I was just randomly like this novel that uh, I'm about to go on submission with with my agent. Um, you know, I, I was, <laughs> so I have, the, I have this one that's about to go on submission and I'm trying to write a new one. And it's been a, a while since I wrote a rough draft of a novel. So I'm kind of rusty and I'm like, why is this so hard? It was so easy the last time. And I'm like, wait, I, <laughs> that's what I remember because <laughs> now I know everything is, but yeah, so I, I went back, I went back and started looking through all my, all the work I'd done on that one and all the notes I'd taken and stuff. Yeah. And like, I had all these like literally just a dozen spreadsheets of just like what this character is like, how this character's attitude changes in every single scene, you know, and just iterating again and again and again on just like what the actual shape of this novel was. And it's like, Oh yeah, it was this hard. (laughs) It it is this much work to create characters that are like full rounded characters. And, and this is the thing, my wife is a much better writer than me. She was uh, executive <laughs> producer of Electric Jesus um, yeah. and is developing her own projects and stuff. Um, she always says this. Um, she's like, if somebody says they love to write, they are not writers. Promise. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's true. You know, and so I love to write. It's like, OK, that, that's fine. And that's lovely. And I'm glad that's something therapeutically valuable to you. But that's not the work of actually, like, yeah. actually writing. And it's not even that we have you know, just profound taste or we, uh, perfection issues. It's just like the grind of doing it is, is, is craft, you know, and, yeah. and, and commitment and diligence. And, you know, most people just don't want to do that. You know, I'm sure you've had people that find out you're a writer and they're like, I've got a story for you. And you're just <laughs> like, 
you don't have a story for me. <laughs> I mean, like things Try actually happening. writing it down and see yeah, yeah. all the millions of things that don't work in it. Yeah. 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 I always tell my go-to now is somebody goes, I have an idea for your next movie. And I'm like, okay, I have a lot of ideas. I don't, I'm not really shopping for ideas for movies, but uh, I love to read your idea, put it in two pages and just email it to me. Here's my email address, just two pages, not the whole, just, just mm-hmm. write it all down. And I've yet to get one of those two page submissions. <laughs> It's like, no, no, I was just going to tell it to you, buy you a cup of coffee, and then you go and raise millions of dollars and spend years of your life and make it happen because it's a movie. (laughs) And then, and then, you know, give me half of the profits. Should there be any? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I know we we shouldn't, we shouldn't be punching at people that aren't writers because we, we need them to um, buy our stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, I mean, it it absolutely is true though, whether you're talking about writing or any other feel just like yes you have yes. no idea how difficult it is until you try to do it on a professional yeah. level and then it's like every time every time you try to write something new it's like i'm an idiot about this like yeah yeah <laughs> you realize writing, you realize how much harder it is every time you do it um, i'm writing a movie right now and i could tell you the movie in a delightful way <laughs> and um but like the grind of doing it it's it's impossible it's 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 ugh. Yeah, it's 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 hard. And then, of course, we have all these distractions like these screens in front of us and these devices in our pockets. <laughs> and there's so many things that just ah, it's know, probably kind of terrible. It's probably kind of terrible that the same device most people use to write is the device they use to play games and surf the Internet. <laughs> I know. I know. And I can't figure out how to do it another way. I'm not going to typewriters. Yeah. That would yeah. be very romantic, but no. <laughs> Why don't we um why don't we try to get back to the to electric Jesus though? Because um okay. we, yeah. you talk about how your how your focus uh eventually shifted to um is it Sarah? Is that the is that her name? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm terrible with names, especially with characters in movies, but um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I am too. I'm too yeah. so speaking as a writer, I know how drastically things can change as you write them. Um was Sarah part of the story from the beginning or yeah yeah um yes um and that relationship was more fleshed out. it was more of a story about a relationship that lasted 20 25 years hmm. and that was like the first draft of the movie yeah and that's when you're just kind of getting things out i think and then mm-hmm. you realize like that's gonna be hard to do uh cast those two actors over 25 years and maybe that scope is a little ambitious yeah and maybe the good stuff that I've written is all about this Christian rock band. So you go back hmm. and then you, you, you kind of do that. So yes, we, we have to, in the, in the, you know, we need something to happen. You know, the guys are going on the road uh, with this uh, Brian Baumgartner uh, from the office plays their band manager. He's going to take them on the road for some, the summer and we need something to get in the way, you know, a complication. And the complication is um, this, this young woman, uh, runs away with the band. She sneaks onto the bus and gets away with them and they can't get her back home. She just has to go on the road. Um, so I knew that would be the thing. I knew that we would have, you know, I knew my guy was going to fall in love with her. I wasn't so sure she was going to fall in love with him or not, but, um, but yeah, yeah, she was a part of it. But the more, uh, the more we got into the story and certainly this started happening during the shoot, actually, but more when me and my editor, Scott Lansing, when we, 
you know, movies are written three times. There's right. screenplay, doing the movie, and then the edit. And once me and Scott got in and, um, you know, you know, I actually sat down and watched the movie, the first assembly of the movie. I was like, well, this is terrible. And what a mistake. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> this is just boring um, yeah. or, or just. And it, I mean, there was great stuff in it and we mm. had those great performances and it, it, that's the work of making a film. You know, the edit, yeah. the post is you grind out the story. Uh, but I was a little uh, catastrophizing, I think, at that point. Um, but what helped was going back to paper, going back to the script, going back to mm. notes, watching it, watching it. And like this was some the, the young woman was asserting herself. And, um, and of course, uh, and no spoilers. I don't want to talk about the end of the movie, but to really make the ending land, uh, we, we needed to have, you know, I, the movie's not over until the main character realizes that, I guess mm. that's the journey mm. Eric's on. Yeah. Um, and if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. He's, he's told this story a hundred times, mm-hmm. but this time, uh, it takes a different turn, um, and f- for, certain reasons and and that's the epiphany that's the that's the okay we're done telling the story we can all go home now Hmm. um but it is a music comedy and there's all you know my friend daniel smith made great music and there's lots of yucks and laughs so um um so i don't want to sound like it's all ponderous and serious um it's a lot of fun Hello, thank you so much for listening to Changed My Mind. I will get right back to that conversation you were just listening to. Uh, But before we do that, I wanna talk real quick about the Patreon. We are a listener supported show. The donations are what keep the lights on. They help me pay my editor and my executive producer. And they are what keep this sort of thoughtful conversation online for listeners to hear. Um, If you go to patreon.com slash change my mind, that's P-A-T, reon.com slash changed my mind. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Once you start supporting at $3 or more, benefits start kicking in. You'll get early access to episodes. And if you support at $5 or more, you will become a producer for the show, uh, which basically means that I'm going to shout you out at the end of every episode. And also, you can come to our strategy meetings on Zoom every month if you want. You, um, don't have to talk if you don't want to. You can just be a fly on the wall and see how the magic happens uh, or see how the sausage is made, as the case may be. Um, so if you like this show and you like what I'm doing, please consider going online to patreon.com slash change my mind and becoming a supporter. Thanks again to all our listeners and supporters. I really appreciate you. And I will flip you right back over to that conversation you were just listening to. I think a lot of people don't realize just how much um, movies tend to be shaped in the editing process after the fact. Um, like I, as a random example, I think, um, I, I think um, Woody Allen's movie, Annie Hall famously was like written and filmed as a murder mystery. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then they realized the murder mystery part didn't work. So they just cut completely cut that out and turned it into a, a romance. Um you look up the original star Wars, uh, you know, like just how much they had to re-edit it and re-edit that to make it work as a movie. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, it's really it, it it is really interesting to me that the um that particular character, the Sarah character, really didn't uh, stick out to you until you were editing. Well, you know, it's some of it's that actress uh, Shannon Hutchinson, who's uh-huh. so she's just fantastic in the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, I found her at kind of a, a bit of a cattle call kind of audition, and it's one of those <laughs> things where you, uh, as a director. You, I don't know. You kind of hope that there's some magical moment. You're just going to see Sarah walk in the door, you know? That's and, how it uh, always works in movies about movie making. <laughs> yeah. And this one, this one, it kind of did, you know, um, yeah. where I saw this girl at the, at the audition and I was like, she looks like who I'm thinking. Hmm. Kinda, you know, the character was loosely maybe inspired by Maria McKee, the lead singer for Lone Justice, at least, the look and feel and some things about the way she sang. And um, so there was something that cued me off there. And then I sent, um, we had pictures. She auditioned. She's a really strong actor. And she was, you know, she was still in high school when she got the part and she was at this arts high school in uh, uh, Baltimore. So she was really well-trained and she could sing and she could act, but it was more just her as a person. Like I just liked talking to her and so as we got into the work, you know, she, she's a gamer, you know, she, I mean, not like, yeah. like a gamer in the sense of sports, like they get on the field and they are dominant. And that's what she was like. As soon as, as soon as we got into the space and cameras started rolling, it was like, holy cow. Okay. Okay. This is a good bet. You know, she's really good. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, and the same thing with Andrew Eckel, who plays uh, Eric in the movie, he was somebody that, I thought, I thought he was too good looking for the part. I think think that's my biggest complaint about him. I was like, I want these, you know, super eight was my guide. I want weird looking kids uh, that (laughs) that look like me and my friends. And he's just too good looking. And then uh, not that he got any worse looking. Um, And let's face it, it's a movie. People should be attractive in movies for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. We're making you look at their face the whole time. So they should probably be somewhat good looking, but it was his acting and his sensitivity and his understanding of that character that just was, uh, and then he had great chemistry with her. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I knew the part had potential, but it was more like watching it happen day in, day out. And there's something too, to being the narrative, you know, the creator of this narrative, we're in a godlike position, right? We're, we're telling the story. We're, we're this is all unfolding in front of us, and to just be able to still have epiphanies and revelations as you're telling it, hmm. yeah. And, and sometimes the revelation is this is a lot stronger than I thought it would be, or this is more important than I gave it credit for. I mean, things like that would would come up and happen in the process. So, you know. Um, and then that really came into that really worked itself out in the edit. I guess I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the end if we could. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't, you, you said well, no spoilers. As long but, as uh, we say um, this is a spoiler section, if you've not seen Electric Jesus, just skip this because I think it's a good <laughs> surprise and it's a good, it, it's meant to be a, a bit of a, uh, there's a reason why you have no clue this is coming until it happens (laughs) okay but i'm i'm happy to talk with you about it luke okay sure yeah let's um, as we just claim it (laughs) uh go ahead and uh if you if you haven't seen the movie i guess skip five minutes ahead um but i I would like to i would like to talk about how it ends a bit um or it not so much 
not so much the end even as like the climactic moment um, when the band breaks up and stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't know if that's, if that's the end or not, but um, uh, go, going in, going into a movie like this, you kind of know the band's going to break up. Like you kind of, kind of know that's what's coming. It's like, what other trajectory could there be here? Um, yeah. I've never heard of them. This isn't yeah. like rocket man. <laughs> it's not going to turn out to be elton john or anything yeah yeah uh speaking of which i actually did end up googling whether um motley crew and stripe were ever toured together because i was like is that real or is that apparently it It was a it was a youth group legend they never toured but it was uh i've talked to michael sweet of striper about that um (laughs) well it's an interesting story i actually saw like when i googled it what came up was a post for from I think just a year or two ago from like a Facebook post from Michael Sweet. That's like, why won't Motley Crue let us tour with them or something? I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Michael, Michael Sweet, he was, he, he was acting lead singer for Boston for a while. So yeah. he's, he's definitely yeah. got the credentials in the secular rock world, but. Yeah. They were friends with those guys. They were yeah. friends with all those guys on the, the strip early eighties. Everybody knew each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, who would open the Heaven and Hell tour? You think Molly <laughs> Crew is going to let Striper open? You think Striper's going to let Molly Crew open? I mean, <laughs> that alone is going to be a problem. They would have to have them both on stage at the same time, playing at the exact same time. And that would be the only way to truly do a Heaven and Hell tour, which would, would be mostly would be hell. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That could be interesting if they like traded songs or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, what <laughs> really struck me about kind of, <clears throat> I don't know, the philosophical climax or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Was I, I honestly didn't see this coming. Like I knew the band was, I knew the band was going to break up. I didn't see kind of this um, lesson at the end, which was, you know, when, when, uh, um, Sarah says, you know, Jesus is already famous. Why can't we just do something for ourselves? You know, and why then, can't we just have fun? Yeah. Why can't we just play music? You know? Yeah. And yeah. Like, it seems like such an obvious thing, but it just, it, it, I didn't realize things were going there. And I was, I was really struck by it. It kind of reminded me a little bit of um, my younger brother. Um He's a bit of a bit of a drama nerd, you know. Um, he was heavily involved with the the theater program at a, a college called um, Dort College in in um, Iowa. Um, they're a oh. Christian college. Uh, they're like a du- historically Dutch Reformed college or whatever. Anyway, yeah. um, and you know, he was telling me the whole time he was there working with the theater program, there was just all this pressure that art should be used to tell people about Jesus, you know. And he's working on his um, he's working on his senior project, which is this play he wrote, not an evangelistic play in any way. It was uh, it was called Canada, the musical. And it was it was about, um, you know, like Jim Carrey and Michael J. Fox conspiring to fix the outcome of uh, an Olympic hockey match or whatever. Anyway, um, uh-huh. so obviously uh-huh. not a Christian play, you know. And um, he's getting all this pressure of like, what's the evangelistic purpose of a play like this? You know, and he finally says, I don't know who says, I think he says it to his cast. But he's like, have you guys ever seen um, Chariots of Fire? You know, the mm. classic movie about the uh, Christian missionary who runs in the Olympics or whatever, you know, and um, there's a scene in Chariots of Fire where the character says he's getting all this pressure to like 
quit running and just go be a Christian missionary or whatever. He's like, you know, God made me for missions or something like that, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I can feel his pleasure. Right. And that's what my younger brother ends up pointing the cast to of like, why can't we just make a play because we're good at making plays and it's fun. You know, God made us good at acting um, or whatever, you know, why can't we just do it? You know? And I was like, as someone, I didn't go to a Christian college like my brother did. So I, I never, I've never really felt that sort of pressure, but like, I was like, when I, when I got to the end of your movie, I was like, you know, I know exactly what these characters are talking about and I know exactly what they're going through. You uh, please send the film or a link or something to your, to your brother, because uh, that is a very important part of the film. And if it, if it preaches anything, maybe, and, and I don't think it's a preachy movie. I don't even think it really is ambitious with spiritual truth mm-hmm. so much but i am a christian and i'm making the movie so it's going to say the things that I, uh, something's going to come out of it but yeah. that idea is one thing that i find so strange in evangelicalism which and i'm not talking about political definition of that word the words totally change meaning right, it doesn't right. Mean, but it used to mean among other things it would mean that we want to share our faith with other people and to persuade them to accept Christ as their savior. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to, because if we don't, they're going to die and spend an eternity apart from God. And that would be horrible for them. And every, and our responsibility as Christians is to share this faith in a persuasive way so that they, you know, become believers like us. Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. recruiting. We're, We're definitely recruiting. And, I think I, I think maybe I had this revelation one time when some Mormon missionaries came to my house, and we've all probably been visited by Mormon missionaries. They're all beautiful young people. Um, I, um, one of my actors uh, who plays Michael in the movies, Mormon, uh, Wyatt Linhart. So I know a little bit about the mission stuff they do and why they do it and where it comes from and what's involved in that. But I would, you know, I used to kind of if, if Mormons came, I was, I grew up in a culture. It's like, okay, they're here. We're going to destroy them. <laughs> you know, like get your Bibles ready. They're Mormons. We got yeah, them. Yeah. We got them. Yeah. Bring them in, bring them in. I got this. And then as I became older, maybe as my kids, you know, I had my own kids who grew up and were being teenagers. And then there's just these young people and they just show up at your door and they want to talk to you about the biggest issues in life. They want to talk to you about the things we think about all the time. And and wrestle with our entire life. And one, they're children. How can they possibly have anything to offer me? Uh, <laughs> a middle-aged person who's been thinking about this my whole life. What, yeah. what, why is that even a thing? Why, why were they, we putting these children in charge of reaching the world? And also they don't know me. They're, we have no relationship. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if I said, Hey, am I married or divorced? They wouldn't know, you know, do I have children? Yeah. Do I not, you know? So I started really drilling down in that a little bit. And why did, why was that so such a key part of evangelicalism? And the cynic would probably say that evangelicals did that. So the kids don't uh, drink and have sex and sin, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a sin management thing. If you're always on mission, you know, <laughs> you better not be sinning. Um, yeah. But I, I think it was, I think it's, I think it's a, a wrong approach in general, and uh, it's certainly not 
been something that's been a part of my adult life and with the intensity that it was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And we would get dropped off in a neighborhood, say, and just go around and invite people to an Easter service at church. And it's like, uh, I mean, it, that would be fun because you're with your friends and mm-hmm. there's shenanigans, but it's not, it's, it's doesn't seem to be particularly effect, effective. And I do think there's something deeply uh, wrong and anti-gospel uh, about using art as a tool. And, and I don't care what the tool is, you know, I'm not mm. just, I, I, Jesus propaganda is bad. Um, but so is, um, you know, uh, climate change propaganda mm. or, mm. you know, like, any kind of propaganda, anytime you're using art to trick somebody into agreeing with you, right. that is an abuse of art. Um, and, and it's done all the time. And sometimes it's done beautifully and very mm-hmm. effectively, but it's not art at that point. Yeah. It's just not, it's not. So, well, you know, there's the, certainly a time and a place to tell people, Hey, here's what I believe about X, Y, and Z. Right. But it's, there's something very dishonest about coming at, coming at someone and saying, Hey, I'm just going to tell you a, a good story. And then instead telling them, here's what I believe about X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I've had so many amazing conversations after somebody's seen Electric Jesus. Here's a great example, Luke. <laughs> when I was growing up uh, in the 80s, you know, one of the coolest guys ever, one of the coolest actors who was in The Breakfast Club was Judd Nelson. He plays Bender in The Breakfast Club, right? And he was a bad boy and he was cool. And we watched that movie in my youth group. We snuck in somebody's basement and watched it. Okay. So we, <laughs> and it was, it was an R rated movie with nefarious bad things. In it, you know, so, but yeah. we adored him. We idolized him. Well, he's in electric Jesus. He hmm. plays the pastor, Sarah's dad in electric Jesus. That's right. Yeah. And so, and, and, and it was like, so he's coming into town. He's going to be in the movie. We have him for two or three days. And uh, so I'm getting ready for my actor meeting with him. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. You know, he's like, he was one of my acting heroes. So we get to have this big actor talk. So he comes into my office and, um, hey, Judd, nice to meet you. So glad you're a part of Electric Jesus. Let's talk about Pastor Wimber. And he just started talking about the Old Testament. No kidding. And <laughs> we spent an hour and a half minimum talking about the Bible. Talking is, about Jesus, talking about like, like having the conversation that if I was a, like, if I could go back in time to 16 year old me and raise my hand at youth group <laughs> in the prayer circle, <laughs> say, oh yeah, guys, could you pray for me? Because in like 35 years, I'm going to be in a room alone with Judd Nelson. <laughs> and all we're going to talk about is Jesus. Could you guys just pray for me and Judd? And that I would have won youth group. I mean, they would have appointed me senior pastor of the Baptist church just for that alone. And like, do you think, and, and again, he's a fascinating guy. He loves theology. He loves history. He loves philosophy. He's a great dinner conversation because you get that. And then you get a little bit of John Hughes, (laughs) the conversation too. Um, But what a cool guy and what a great conversation. And isn't that what you would hope that like, you know, isn't that kind of what a Christian witness, if you want to call it that, or, or what Christians engaging with the world, as they used to say, uh, would look like, it would look like really fascinating conversations about David and Goliath. Yeah, It would look like, you know, so again, I don't, I'm not, 
taking credit for saving Judd Nelson or anything, but that to me is a way more authentic, organic way to just be a Christian in the world. And that's a very overt way. I've had, you know, I was on a, a podcast of a big, it's a radio thing, a serious radio podcast or broadcast uh, interviewed about the movie when we were in a, a film festival in LA. And um, uh, the, the woman that was doing the podcast, she's brilliant, just a pop culture music, brilliant person uh, asked where I got the name for the band from. And I said, 316. And she's like, yeah, yeah. How did, where'd you come up with that? Why 316? And I was like, well, it's John 316, you know, that verse. <laughs> and she was like, what? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not ringing a bell. What, what, <laughs> what verse are you talking about? What, what is it? And it's like, it's a verse in the Bible. It's kind of the whole point of <laughs> the Bible. It's one verse. <laughs> 316. She had no knowledge of that at all. So here That's I am wild. like on this, you know, half a million people listening. I think it, it was a big, it was a big broadcast. And I'm like quoting, you know, feverishly <laughs> hoping I'm remembering it right. Yeah. It's for God so loved the world that he gave us, you know, I'm saying this yeah. and she's like, wow, you learn something new every day. That was what she said. <laughs> so again, in our little, you know, in, in Christian, you know, in Christian bubbles and little Christian things, I, I always find that there's a lot of talk about sharing your faith and even using things like art, you know, music and theater and all to do this, but like very little actual interaction with people who maybe don't agree with you or don't believe what you believe or, um, or even really authentic kind of move the needle conversations with yeah. people or my God, what if something could change in you? What if, what if, what if speaking the gospel wasn't just about tricking somebody else into agreeing with it, but it was somehow <laughs> reminding you of what the gospel is, you know, like, yeah. The, you know. yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry for your brother, Luke's brother. <laughs> I'm sorry. I would love to have seen your play. And yes, you should just have fun. I think um, Eric says in the movie, he says, it's the joy of the Lord. That's actually what the joy of the Lord is. It's mm. just being with your friends, loving each other, listening to music, playing music, creating, laughing, building those memories, mm -hmm. and just being a teenager, you know, isn't that what joy that is? Yeah, um, for sure. All right. Well, let me ask you this and then we'll wrap up aside from your uh, change in perspective itself. Uh, what would you say you learned from the experience of, of changing your mind of making mm. electric Jesus? Hmm. I, I am, I am, I'm definitely more empathetic. I am. And I'm glad about that. Um, mm. I'm glad that in kind of in the process uh, I've come to see people with more grace and less judgment, hmm. weirdly enough. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the movie. I think in the film, in a weird way, I found my faith again hmm. in the falling in love with Jesus kind of faith that hmm. I'd always heard about, maybe even talked about years ago. But this process, this idea of becoming more empathetic it's redeemed something about what was lost in my youth. Hmm. Um, the past four or five years, uh, it's been pretty awful. If you're an evangelical, mm -hmm. 
even if you're like on board with what it is now, it's mm-hmm. awful because it's mm-hmm. terrifying, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. all like just constant fear. And if you're not on board with what it's come to mean, then it's also, it's awful for a different reason. Mm-hmm. You're, you're maybe politically homeless or socially homeless or maybe even spiritually homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, and so the word kind of lo- has lost its meaning and it left me. Um, I didn't leave it. It left me. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing that's come through the film is kind of a new or I've enjoyed finding grace again and mm-hmm. gospel again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's been through friends I've met along the way because of the movie. I've come in contact with people that really get that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think on some level, maybe we're drawn to the movie because they feel like the, the movie had some of that in it. But um I don't know. You know, again, as I said at the beginning, I think I started this a little bit more cynically than I would be comfortable admitting. (laughs) And then um, getting into it, I I think there was a softening and falling in love with the characters again. And then at the end, it it just kind of became like a, and again, I've always pretty much thought that, you know, Christianity was true and it Mm -hmm. was right. Um, but I couldn't always access it. I couldn't always see it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's often been covered with the stuff you have to do to be a Christian or the way you have to behave or the way you're not supposed to behave or whatever. And this idea of grace and that's it period. It's just, it's just grace. Um, that had eluded me. Hmm. And um, we live in a graceless age, Luke, there, yeah. there is, there is no grace. And uh, if you step out of the church, good luck, because yeah. it's even worse. It's worse because there's no path back. Hmm. And uh, Christians should should be the people that have the path back. Hmm. And so many of them are just not talking about the path back. They're just talking about, you know, you know, bracing for the coming apocalypse or something. I, I'm not hmm. even sure. Or, or how we can use the move the levers of power and government Mm -hmm. to make sure we are safe or something. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like you've got, you've got, supposedly you've got God on your side. You've got the God of the universe. And also if you look into your church history, it never was great for Christians. It really Mm -hmm. never was, (laughs) you know, never. I mean, even when Christians were in power, it was never great. (laughs) No, no. So, I mean, Again, like I, I think, uh, I think the process kind of brought me back to a, a different, what should have been my primary understanding of the Christian faith, and that's been that's been a joy. That's been mm-hmm. a real joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Writing movies is still hard, and I'm, you know, I'm terrified that I'm working on one now. I'm, I'm it's like the process is going to be my process, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go out with this movie, and I'm going to come back and sit down with Scott to edit, and I'm going to go. Oh crap! This sucks. <laughs> you know, hug me and say, "Let's do, let's do the work, man. Let's just yeah. do the work." There's a movie. You know, so, you write, you write uh, 120 pages of garbage just so that you have something to edit and rewrite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then that. you you spend years raising money to do it, and yeah, gosh, and, and and then so again, I think that's just my process. I'm I'm not the uh, I'm not the most talented filmmaker. Um, but I do, you know, I have my way and I can make movies like nobody else makes. So <laughs> maybe that makes me something. I'm not sure. I why. wonder who is the most talented filmmaker. Um, <laughs> Spielberg. Maybe. Spielberg's yeah. probably yeah. the most born 
yeah. filmmaker. Yeah, he probably, I think he just, he was birthed knowing exactly <laughs> how to make movies. <laughs> all right. Well, I have three um, uh, final questions I try to ask all my guests, um, just kind okay. of build out these. This is a, this podcast is a philosophical exploration, you know, trying to nail down these questions of how do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, and I figure if I talk about Christian metal long enough, I'll figure it out. Right. Um, so <laughs> uh, yes. first, first well, of all, uh, Chris, what is identity? How do you know your identity? Does everyone have an identity? What do you think? I think everybody does have an identity. What is identity? Uh, who or what do I love? And who or what do I live for? Hmm. That, that is who I am. That is my identity. Hmm. Who, who I love and who I live for. Or what? Your identity being what? Hmm. So we're trying to make Jesus famous? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right on, right on. Um, second, what is human nature? Do you think we're all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down or are we all blank slates? What do you think? Uh, I think it's human wanting to be right. Hmm. That is so, so human, but it's only those of us who can see our wrongness, our proclivity to love being wrong hmm. uh, or to justify ourselves all the time. Hmm. we're all justifying ourselves all the time. Um, um, you know, and, and uh, the people that are really worth meeting for a drink or dinner or having over for a party or vacationing with weirdo broken wrong answer people. Uh, I have no idea and could care less. These are my humans like the ones that aren't trying to be right all the time and not trying to make me right all the time. <laughs> um, but I do think it's just human nature to want to be right and feel justified and, and just never be wrong. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I relate to that. Obviously that's why I do this podcast, <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it is, it is very, very hard to, um, to admit I was wrong. I have, I have something to learn here. Um, mm -hmm. But it is an important skill to cultivate for sure. Um, and finally, what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you know when you've found truth? What do you think? I would say truth is outside of the self, outside of me. Mm -hmm. um, the main plot of your story is happening outside. If, if you want to know why you're here and what it all means, if these questions are burning, get out of yourself, hmm. run to others, love them, listen to them, speak grace over them. In other words, forgive people, hmm. uh, bring them in from where they are, not on, on conditions you want them to be. I think if you do that, you'll be getting at something true hmm. or you will feel, you will feel like you found something true, but it's not, I'm half introvert, half extrovert. So I feel like <laughs> I have a toe in both. I can turn each on and off if I get the right amount of <laughs> prep time. Yeah. Um, but the introvert in me doesn't like that. The overthinker in me doesn't like that. But I only feel like it's working. I only feel like I know what's going on when I'm outside of me. 
Hmm. Um, and spending time with my kids or my wife or my friends or just strangers, uh, collaborators on a film. Yeah. Um, this is when I really feel like uh, we find ourselves. I will say that that is one thing I don't particularly like about just being a writer. <laughs> is mm -hmm. I can avoid talking to people as much as I want. Yeah. And I, it's just so easy to get lost in your head and just... Yeah. Like even forget entirely that other people exist sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right now I'm in my, uh, this basement office at my house in Greenville, South Carolina. And there's a board over there with character names for the new movie. There's stacks of notes here. There's different documents open on my screen and this huge behemoth behemoth of a, of a thing is just pressing on me. And, um, it's, it's lonely. Like I, yeah. I can't go upstairs and get some coffee and say, Hey, Emily, uh, I had this cool idea for the film. I'm putting it in an act too. What do you think? She, I mean, I gotta wait. I gotta wait until it's finished. I gotta, yeah, you know, so it's, sure. um, yeah, it's, it's, but this is, look, Luke, you should look into filmmaking because <laughs> the thing about filmmaking is there is this time when it's just you yeah. and you're just kind of, tinkering him and then there's a time where it starts getting outside of you when you're raising money or maybe you're putting the film together as a business and then 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 it becomes like the casting and yeah. truing up that's exciting and then you go intensely into this weird little summer camp of art where you're making a <laughs> film and that is as terrifying and romantic as it might sound you know yeah, yeah. and then you get to go home and then it's just you and your editor and it goes insular again so for me the the rhythms of making film really suit my internal uh you know my extroversion and my introversion it's just yeah, it's a sure. good job for me so just when i'm getting sick of one <laughs> just when i'm ready to leave set and never see these people again that's when it ends and i get to go edit <laughs> <laughs> and just when the edit's over and i huh, i need to see people then film festivals start and they're yeah. parties and people you know so i i i think it's a fun job this is the part I, I where I recommend it. This is the part where I admit that I actually have a BA in film studies and I've just oh. never, never done anything with it. <laughs> yeah, but Luke, film studies, you guys are the worst because yeah, you probably. know everything about movies <laughs> and yet you know nothing about movies. <laughs> That's so true. That is a hundred percent true. You are the curators. You're you're the ones that can tell us all day why Citizen Kane is great and Citizen Kane is great. But we couldn't but make Citizen Kane if we had to. <laughs> <laughs> At least I know, you know, some of the technical stuff about it. I couldn't make yeah. it either, but, um, but no, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. Like, yeah, under understanding a work and being able to make a work of that caliber are two completely, completely different things. <laughs> so hard, you know, and they always say this, like nobody ever tries to make a bad movie. Like nobody, even like campy bad movies, the people making it are very sincere. Yeah. <laughs> they have no idea it's as bad as it is. And that's so even when you're making the movie and you're like, just to have some awareness that this could be really bad is is positive. I think it's helpful <laughs> just to be like, you know, yeah. Or no, this all could be really horrible. <laughs> that's 100% true. Well, Chris, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. Before we go, you want to tell people where they can find you, where they can find your work? Well, I, I'd love for everybody listening to take a look at Electric Jesus. And it's it's 
It's streaming on all the platforms. Uh, in fact, um, February 7th, we open on all the streaming platforms in the UK. So it's slowly getting, I think it's in Korea now and Canada and the United States. So it's, it's, it's slowly going out and it'll be all over the world soon enough. We, we have a few more countries come on every couple of weeks or months. So I hope you see it. I really hope you listen to the soundtrack because right now on any streaming service, you can look up Electric Jesus uh, music from and inspired the motion inspired by the motion picture and you it's a great preview of the movie it's it's uh, 21 songs a couple of covers but mostly original that were written in collaboration with my my now good friend daniel smith some people know him from the band danielson or danielson family they were you know the class of tooth and nail records um, and they're amazing. Uh, the whole family's amazing. Daniel's particularly um, inspiring and a great guy and just an incredible musician and composer. So on that soundtrack, you get to hear some of the music, some of the songs, you know, the kind of funny Christian rock songs from the movie. But you also get to hear a lot of the music that's underneath, you know, the score music, which is outstanding. Um, I, uh, and, and uh, of course, our friends at Joyful Noise recordings have like vinyl versions of this, like a double LP version and, and a cassette version. Um, if, if you're so inclined, if you miss the hiss in your music, you can get it <laughs> from joyful noise. So yeah, those things. Um, and, and I should say, since we're in the world of podcasting, check out the electric Jesus podcast. There's a, uh, a podcast that I did about, uh, going on. I think we started a little less than a year ago, but um, maybe about a year ago, where we really look into where the story of Electric Jesus came from. We talk a lot about the history of Christian music. Um, it even gets down to where I get to talk to Amy Grant and Michael Sweet of Striper at wow. the same time. Wow. Um, that's like the climax of the whole, <laughs> the whole series. But uh, you, you get to hear a lot of, and then there's a lot of me and Daniel talking about the music and the collaboration on the music. So I just, I, I love that podcast and I hope that people find it and listen to it. It's a great uh, if you're a fan of the movie, if you've seen it a couple of times and you're, it's, you know, you really dig it, you got to listen to the podcast because you'll have a lot of fun with it. And if you're a little iffy on the movie and the soundtrack doesn't convince you that you should see it, listen to the podcast because uh, it's great conversations and entertaining conversations and really well produced. The John Thompson and Bruce Brown from the True Tunes podcast produced it and it's impeccable. Um, the production is really excellent. So highly recommend that as well. Right on. Yeah. And I'll just say one more time for, uh, for listeners, I highly recommend the film. I haven't checked out the podcast, but I guess I will now. Um, yeah, but yeah, do. great cast, beautifully shot. Some of the best, uh, musical sequences I've seen in a movie in a long time. Um, yeah. but yeah, I just, I, I love that movie. Y'all should go watch it. Um, all right. Well, this has been changed my mind with Luke T Harrington. You can email the show at changedmymindpod at gmail.com. You can find the show at changedmindpod on Twitter, or you can find me on Twitter at Luke T Harrington, and I'll see you all next time. Right now, I'm actually editing this podcast as a way of avoiding the work I really should be doing, which is working on my current novel. <laughs> I, uh, I told myself I would finish a rough draft of this novel by Friday this week, and that is looking 
increasingly unlikely. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, main one though, is that before I started it, it seemed like a really good idea. And I thought I had a really interesting main character in my head. And as I have worked on it, I have become increasingly aware that neither of those things is the case. Uh, because that's the truth. You don't know whether an idea is going to work until it's actually on the page and you can see whether it works or not. Um, for me, the storytelling process is very iterative, right? I write a draft and then I come back to it later and decide 80% of it doesn't work and rewrite it. Come back to it later, decide 70% of that doesn't work and rewrite it again. I have friends who, um, I have friends who do it differently. You know, I have a, my friend KB Hoyle, who was on the show a year or two ago, you know, she sits down and she writes a very, very detailed outline, um, goes over it and over it, makes sure everything in it works. And then she writes like one draft of her book and she's done. Um, and you know, good for her. Um, <laughs> uh, I can't work that way. I have to get to know my characters in the moment. Um, you know, and I know that can sound very new agey, like these characters are this real thing I've created in my mind. Um, and, you know, it's obviously not that. It's going over these moments, moment by moment, and asking myself, does it make sense for this character to act this way now? Does it make sense for this character to say this thing now? And you rework it and rework it until the character feels like a real person. You know, and at that point, you kind of do, quote unquote, know your character and your character does kind of, quote unquote, develop a mind of his or her own. Um, and that it does feel like that, you know, but it ultimately just takes a lot of work um, because getting to know a character is, I mean, it's probably arguably more complicated than getting to know a real person because not only are you learning to understand and predict what they'll do, but you also have to create those things from scratch. Um, I've written about this some on my Substack. Um, I've been kind of focusing on storytelling as the, uh, the main topic for my Substack because that's what I'm doing these days. Um, I have a new piece up about um, how... Little Shop of Horrors, the 80s Broadway musical, uh, taught me the um, essence of storytelling. Um, <laughs> the Notes version is, I hadn't seen the original 60s B-movie it was based on until the night I finished the first draft of my first novel. Um, and comparing the stage musical to the original film really put into perspective what makes a story work. Um, the short version is that the stage musical cuts the number of murders in half, <laughs> but it makes you really feel the weight of each murder, right? It spends a lot more time building up to the murders, making you understand why this character is committing this murder, right? And it's a much more effective story even though it has so much less violence in it. Um, <laughs> 
And if that doesn't quite make sense, you can uh, read the article. Yes, this is a plug for my Substack because uh, I want people signing up for my Substack. So the whole article is there along with a bunch of other articles I've written about the process of storytelling and what makes a good book, what makes a good movie. Um, so if you go to luketharrington.substack.com, you can read all of that. If you sign up to get it in your email inbox as a newsletter, uh, you will get immediate access to both of my books for free because um, I want people to read my books. So give me your email address. I will send you electronic copies of both my books. Um, anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks to Chris for coming on the show. Please do check out his movie, Electric Jesus. It is wonderful. Um, if you like what I'm doing, if you want to support the show, you know how to do that. You go to Apple Podcasts and you write a five-star review and tell everybody how great I am. Because, I mean, my mom thinks I'm great and my mom has never been wrong about anything. So, uh, do that. Um, if you want to support me financially, there is a Patreon. I briefly mentioned that in the middle of the show. Um, go to patreon.com slash change my mind, where you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, benefits include early access to episodes and direct access to me and my producer, Blake, who is probably at least as smart as me. I don't know. Um, but yeah, patreon.com slash change my mind. Just as a reminder, you can get in touch with the show at changedmymindpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at changedmindpod. Change My Mind is produced by Tamar Harrington. Wouldn't you like to be a producer too? Go to patreon.com slash changedmymind and you can. Our executive producer is Blake Collier. Our editor is Jonathan Clausen, and we are presented by the Raven Creek Social Club. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind, and please don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm -hmm.